This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Asman, and welcome back for another episode as we discuss pertinent issues related to customer experience as part of the CXFM radio network of podcasters. I'm really pleased to have as my guest today, Joachim from a company called They Do, and uh, we have lots to talk about, but I'm going to start with having uh, Joachim introduce himself to our audience. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. Pleasure to be here. So I'm the co-founder and CEO at Daydo, and we believe that the best companies today work journey-centric. And I bet we have some ground to cover here, but basically what we do is we help companies go from journey mapping to management and really set up a workflow around their customer journeys to manage the customer experience. That's great. And we are going to cover that and really like the approach of journey management. But before we get there, I asked the same question of all of my guests, because typically speaking, those of us in the customer experience world don't uh, wake up as small children and say, I want to be a customer experience professional someday. And so our listeners are always curious as to how did you end up doing what you're doing today? What's your career path? What are those key elements that kind of got you here? Um, share that with us. Sure. And, and I've been in the, the CX or UX trenches for, for a lot of my uh, working career, at least. So I have a background in interaction design, UX design, as, as they call it today. And we got hired. And when I say we, I had a, a consulting firm with my two co-founders before we started. They do the product today. We got hired by these large Fortune 500 companies to basically create a culture of design, helping them to understand customers bringing customer-centric processes into the workflow and really help them to scale an approach. And one of the tools, obviously, in, in that toolkit is the, is the journey map, right? The customer journey map. So we created them, we researched, we did interviews with customers for these clients we had and then turned into those journey maps and, and used them to align teams across different countries, across different uh, business divisions, across different business units. And Every project, we saw the magic of that journey, bringing people together. But then this was usually Friday, right? The beer moment where every insight get, gets presented. And then on Monday was business as usual, over and over again. Great business if you're a consulting firm, because then you can start with your new project. But we figured, hey, we're onto something here with our journey approach. But maybe there's other companies that have this problem as well. And that's what got us started into building a product. I could not only visualize those journeys because, you know, you have a lot of mapping solutions out there. Even people do it on the whiteboards today. But we thought if you can align the entire business with journeys, then there might be something there. And 
we saw companies like Johnson and Johnson and NCR who are now revolutionizing their way of working through journeys, um, agreeing with us. And at some point in time, we said, let's turn this into a product and let's allow these organizations to scale journey management as, as we see it. So it was really about using design to bring the business and the customer together, you know, creating this mutual understanding again, because without customers, there is no business. And the problem we're trying to solve is, is so large that we said, okay, let's commit 10 years of our lives to, to actually achieve this. And uh, we're now, what is it, two years in, and it has been quite the ride. Hmm. Fascinating. One of the intriguing things that I found in your background was your initial experience in UX. And we spent a lot of time in CX talking about that linkage between UX and CX. And I'm not sure we've made the proper linkage. I'm not sure many of us understand it. Some people say it's the same. Some people say UX is different from CX. Joachim, what's your spin on that? What's your take on this now? That, because you do both now. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, uh, question to, to answer. It makes me think, how, how can I best answer? Okay, so Fast, let's, no, let's take it back. Let's take it back 10 years. So experience, customer experience was the domain of, well, us as UX designers, right? It was part of product in a lot of organizations. So the UX design team, the UX research team was responsible for discovering insights and figuring out what the customer needs. And then, you know, <laughs> taking all that material to the business and say, this is what we need. And then the business said, mm, yeah, maybe. So Experience used to be really part of product, but now customer experience is the holy grail for everyone. It's the most important thing to differentiate the products or the services you offer in, in, a, in a competitive market. So because this trend is now today true for most companies, you see that experience is all, uh, an all-encompassing discipline in organizations, aligning all these teams around the experience. And what happens Every team has different ideas of who is the customer, what is customer experience from our perspective, and how should we even improve it? So customer experience is this over-encompassing way to look at your business through the eyes of the customer. And user experience is then a division, a chapter, a group in the organization that basically is responsible for the digital products and services, designing that in the most optimal way to deliver the customer experience the way you want to be known as a business. Um, allowing your customers to be happy and come back. I like that tie into uh, what a company wants to be known for. So are you suggesting um, how important it is to be tied to the brand that experience both UX and CX need to be tied to the brand? Yeah, it can definitely tie into that because customer experience in itself is nothing. I mean, businesses have customers and customers are people and people experience things all the time, right? We all have thoughts, feelings all day out. So differentiating yourself on customer experience, what does that even mean? And for Amazon, it means uh, speed and it means uh, lower prices. That is their customer experience. But for, I don't know, a large insurance company, it can really mean something around um, delivering a happy service or making people smile every interaction they have. It can mean so many different things to different companies and different brands. Even large organizations we work with, like a large insurance company here in, in Europe, they have 
different brands under the same umbrella. So their journeys are for 60 to 80% standardized, but it's the brand that differentiates how people perceive it, how people experience it. So as you can see, it's again, the experience that ties the organization together. And, and I believe that the journey centric organization is the best way to manage all this, but it's ultimately UX, service design, communication, marketing, sales, and product or, or innovation all play a part in together within, let's say, your brand values or your company values deliver that customer experience. Mm-hmm. You, know, Kim, you mentioned about um, uh, Europe and I was remiss in not asking where you're coming to us from today on this podcast. Where are you located? So I'm located in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and um, I'm in my back garden. I have the luxury that I have a little studio in my back garden. I see my kids play outside now. It's, what is it, five o'clock in the evening. So um, yeah, I'm in Amsterdam. Oh, that's wonderful. Good to hear. I, I, we really enjoy when um, guests come on from around the globe. It, it gives us a great perspective. And along those lines, where are we at? What is the state of customer experience you're dealing with clients you're in the in the world of cx where are we at right now given everything going on in the world yeah we we see a few things that are well i wouldn't even say considered trends but more like almost facts is that cx as a space is is evolving and, and i'm sure your listeners will agree to that i think past guests have also made those reflections that customer experience in, in some cases used to be like this add-on for customer support, right? That the support experience should be great. But here in, in Europe, for instance, customer experience is this all-encompassing discipline of looking at the entire organization, how everything is functioning or geared towards delivering that optimal experience because the customer is happy, they come back and they pay or create more revenue. So in the US, we see the same trend and everyone is trying to bring their data together get an idea of the customer and really understand how they can improve the customer experience together. It's not that they didn't want to before, but with our digital way of working and and the pandemic has has accelerated that even further, we realized we were not only siloed, but within our silos in the organization, we even have islands. So it has been a tremendous effort for all these teams to get back in sync. And we now see the results that there's a lot of technology coming out to bridge those gaps and to make seamless collaboration around the customer experience possible. Talk to me a little bit more about uh, islands. That's a new, I I mean, obviously silos are always big, but tell me a little bit more about your perspective on the islands comment. So (laughs) a funny story is that we're a small company, right? Servicing large companies with our software. But even we, as we're core users of our own product, managing our journeys internally, um, sometimes struggle to align, sometimes struggle to understand what we mean while we have different opinions about the same things. And that is partly because we're remote, uh, partly because we're not sharing the same room, but that is true for most large companies that you're not able to share the same room. But now that we're all individuals in different rooms all the time, or most of the time, if we're not fully back in the office, um, that makes it very hard to understand what everyone is saying about the same things if you're not in the room together. So that asynchronous 
collaboration is showing us that getting alignment on the most simple things is actually pretty hard to do. So that's why I like to say like, traditionally speaking, journeys are breaking down artificial walls. That's, that's a statement you've probably seen before and making sure that the silos are not silos anymore. But within the silos, even if you have marketing, you still have a bunch of people that maybe not be in as much in sync as they, they used to be. And, and that's what we have seen and people are now overcoming that again by uh, changing the way they work. But that has been a challenge for a lot of organizations. Yes, that, that whole concept of alignment and being in sync certainly is a, is a challenge. In working with your various clients, is there any common challenge, common barrier that you see? Um, I know you talked about silos and so forth, but is there anything else you see as you get the journey mapping process underway that could be some great insight for for our listeners who are trying to do the same thing. Definitely. And I like that you mentioned mapping because that's where we see companies take the, the first next step. Say like, hey, we want to go from, from mapping to management. We understand the map is just a way of looking at things. It's flat. It's one dimensional. It's probably outdated the moment we have improved part of the customer experience there or changed something or built something or shipped something. Uh, and then nobody looks at the map again. And chances are that your map is different than someone else's map and has a different scope, a different width, a different horizon. So we see a lot of organizations have maps all over the place, literally all over the place. Excel, PDFs, version 1.2.0, Miro boards. Um, but what we see they are doing successfully is if you're serious about journey management, you create first create a journey framework. And that journey framework unifies all these journeys into one place. Some use the customer life cycle as, as the top of the framework. Others have more sophisticated ways of showing the journey ecosystem and how everything is connected. But in principle, it's a layered approach, a vertical approach to unify all these journeys together. And if you have an idea of what that can be, it doesn't need to be like, okay, we have 120 journeys and we're going to map them out and we're going to manage them all. You can start small, but if you have that framework in mind, like what is what and what level do we do what and how do we think about these journeys at these different levels of interaction with the customer experience, you're doing your company a great service. And then you can start looking at what projects are we currently running, what product increments are running, what initiatives do we have to focus on, what strategic priorities or objectives we want to want to focus on, let's say this quarter. And then you're going to build out using that, idea within the journey framework of where the leverage today is with the projects and, and the focus you have to start building that out. So what I'm trying to say is have an idea of the bigger picture, the framework itself, and then starting small on a project or a quarterly level with building some of these journeys and start to align your teams around them. Do you find that organizations have that bigger framework in mind or is that, is that absent when you encounter them? We see a big variety of, of, of organizations and it's, it's a maturity thing, right? A lot of those large organizations already have people in their walls or consulting firms around them, but also in smaller organizations, this is true, that can see this bigger picture and want to do this. Um, but they sometimes lack the buy-in from management or sometimes lack the tools. But as they grow into more mature and everyone's looking at each other and, and, and they realize, hey, this, this journey-centric approach might work, 
then they start to invest. And that is what we typically see as being our great customers. They already have that framework in mind. But there's a lot of consulting firms, like the big ones, are all trying to make that unified framework and help organizations see it through that lens. Now, the most sophisticated customers we see, they have not only a lifecycle model of the framework, but they're also using the same journeys to craft, let's say, a domain-specific framework where they look at um, maybe a product line or maybe a region using the same journeys but with a different lens. But that is that is for the most mature organization. So it depends on, on where your organization maturity is and where your team's maturity is. But two years ago, it was really like starting up. And, and today... We see a lot of the Fortune 500 transform towards this way of work and understand that the framework is a necessary thing to have. I guess that should uh, make our CX professionals who are listening feel good that we're making that progress. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And we see, we, we see it all the time. Like the, the, the CX professionals in those large organizations for the first time get to do what they always wanted to do, but were stuck doing in PowerPoint. They get to scale this. They get to involve everyone. They get to create that overview that everyone so desperately was looking for, but couldn't find in their dashboards or whiteboards. And today they have a journey framework that speaks everyone's language. And that's so powerful. So yeah, I guess everyone should be should be happy that, that this transformation is, is getting started. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, tell us what your company they do does in this area then. How do you help clients? We are software. So we actually build the tools for these builders, as we like to think of our our teams that that, that use our product. They have an idea of the journey framework. So we provide the tools to build that journey framework. And they have an idea how to work from inside to implementation, connecting all the teams. We provide tools to do so. So in practice, it means we have come up with a different way of... um, making the journeys. So of course we offer a journey mapping interface that is collaborative and everyone can join uh, in the process, but we offer a few lanes in the journey map, swimming lanes, as you're probably familiar with that are connecting the dots across journeys. So one is the opportunity lane where they really can capture the opportunities and journeys, link them to the other journeys and build out that network of interconnected opportunities across different steps and touch points, and then add value scoring to it. So really understand what are the different drivers of growth for our company, prioritize these opportunities together, and then layer on again, the solutions. So the Epics, for instance, with their agile teams, bringing in uh, tools like Jira or DevOps, where they can integrate all the Epics into the journeys, track status around them, and also journey managers or journey owners get notified of all the changes and can then understand that the journey is changing. So really bringing in step-by-step all the different divisions, teams in the organization around that journey, integrating their tools, but also integrating it into their workflows is what we see. And in short, you can also say like, we help organizations manage journeys like they already manage products. And I love this evolution to journey management as well. It's like journey maps are the, are the tactics and journey management is really the strategy. Do I, is that a reasonable conclusion to make a difference oh, between like the two that. terms? Yeah, I like that a lot. Never heard of uh, someone saying it like that, but, but that is right. But it also, it also makes it practical because strategically um, 
this idea we're bringing forth is, is not new. We, we are not saying this is the way you should do it and now, now you're going to do it. No, we think the other way around. Like companies already have an idea of managing the business journey centric, but it stucks at the map level because that's what we used to do. So now we're going into management and we're going to unfold a whole different dynamic in the organization. It's like where Agile was 15 years ago, journey management is maybe maybe today. We're going to see a whole new discipline in the organization rise, a whole new way of working. And, and that is what makes, makes me come out of bed every day, very excited to work on this problem. Mm-hmm. I think you bring up a good point too with agile uh, software development of a few years ago. I, I mean, we did 20 years ago, we were all doing process mapping in our organization. So uh, this, this is like those kinds of techniques on steroids where we're really tying it all together across the organization. Yeah, right. And actually, if, if, if first you did process mapping, then you did product management or actually mm-hmm. managing the building. And, and now you layer on the top part, which is the customer experience. And we bring all those three together in the journey. Say, look at the journey. Then later on, okay, which solutions you already have in place? What are you working on? What are the opportunities you see? And then what are the supporting processes? Even go into like the the service blueprint level where you say, hey, let's map out all these processes and also make sure that the one, the the teams that own these processes get involved and understand that if something changes that they need to make changes in their process or even in their system architecture. I'm going that level, but yeah, isn't it beautiful that today... Finally, everything is coming together around the customer experience. <laughs> yes, it sure is a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, a great way to put it. Now, I want to shift gears for just a minute um, because when we're talking about journey mapping and management, those are really hot topics in the customer experience world. But uh, another um, uh, article that you wrote was about big data and small data. And I, and that's another hot topic right now in the customer experience world is the, the collection of data, the utilization, somewhat like you talked about with journey maps that organizations have lots and lots of journey maps and they're not doing anything with them. We're seeing that too, where lots and lots of data is being collected. If it is being collected, there's not a lot of action on it. Share with our listeners your, your view of this big data versus small data. I thought it was quite interesting. Oh, thanks. We can, can can link to the article in the show notes, but maybe it's easier to just tell a little story to, to make explicit what, why it's so important to understand the difference and, and have both in place to, to make decisions. Is that when we were working with this large groceries company, um, they had obviously supermarkets all over the country and they had a consumer-focused digital platform where you could order groceries online, get them shipped to your home. And then they moved into the B2B space, going to go into uh, business deliveries and doing the groceries for the business and lunch and um, all the things you need for your company. And when they were starting up, what they did was they copied the, the whole setup for, from consumer, transported that to the, the B2B environment in terms of, you know, processes, in terms of designs, in terms of the, how the journey should work and all, all nice and good. And at some point they saw that the data was, or let me, let me rephrase. At some point they, they started talking to customers. This was when we were involved and we were looking into the last mile delivery, how to make that customer experience better. 
and the data was fine. There was no indication that anything was, was missing or could be improved. But as we were researching together with them, what we found out, and this was when we were consulting from right before we, we had the product, but when we were mapping out these journeys, we noticed that there was some irregularity about when on Monday morning, everything got delivered. There were a lot of frustrations at these customers. So why was that? What they did was when you sign up for an account, you fill in your details, your phone number, your email account, all that stuff. You order the groceries online. And then in the last mile delivery, you get a text message saying, hey, your delivery is on the way. It's going to take uh, 10 more minutes and we're at your uh, office. And then you should be there waiting for us to make everything go, go smooth. But what they failed to understand and what the data didn't tell was that there was a lot of frustration coming out of the interviews around that last mile delivery. People were complaining that the landlines were blocked by this company calling with an SMS about the last mile delivery. And the phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing if you didn't pick it up. And if you picked it up, there was this robot voice reading out the text messages aloud. So even though their data didn't show anything that was wrong. Customers were super frustrated that the landline kept calling and they couldn't change the landline to, um, to mobile number. So what they did or failed to do was change in their journey of going from B2C to B2B, change the input fields and understand that a company signs up with, back in the days when there was no COVID, signs up with a company account and signs up with a company phone number, which is probably a landline. So... That is a little nice story to understand. If you can change a small thing in your product, the experience can tremendously impact all your customers at the same time. And big data didn't indicate anything. The message got delivered. The goods got delivered. It was business as usual. So big data is, is a great indicator for, for things, but you really need to understand the customer experience, what they're feeling, what they're going through at every step of the journey to make uh, improvements to, to the, the customer experience. And then obviously you can measure if that improvement was successful because now you know where to look. So if big data were, were the answer, we would all be immensely successful companies, right? I mean, it's, it's so easy to gather data, but understanding what it means and, and why the data is there in the first place, that is going to be the big challenge for companies in, uh, in today's world. Well, that phrase, the devil is in the details, kind of comes to mind, doesn't it, as you talk about the big versus the small. You know, what fascinates me is so many companies use NPS or customer SAT or CXI or effort scores and so forth, and they look at that macro high-level reporting of those results, and yet um, understanding why the number is moving down or up. And sometimes it's important to know why the number is going, just as important to know why the number is going up as opposed to why it's going down. Um, really, you do need to get to that small data as you suggest. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's becoming a bigger problem today because we're so used to these basic service we get all day. So we either fill them in if we're okay with doing that, but typically we're not. Um, but the bigger problem is that in a lot of organizations, the bonus or the, the, the targets for senior management or even the board is tied to that number. So mm -hmm. if it gets measured, gets managed, and it's important and it's becoming the most important thing to influence. So people start making stupid decisions to influence it a, a notch. 
And when you take your small data, your qualitative data seriously, and you're able to visualize that in a smart way so that it feels data-driven, but it's all your qualitative insights, your journeys, your content around the customer experience. And you can bring that to the table and say, hey, okay, so MPS is dropping. Our satisfaction score is uh, uh, significantly decreased this quarter. What are we going to do about it? Then you might have the answer to where the problems are you want to fix first. And bringing those things together is very important. But if you don't do that and you just focus on the number, skip to solutioning that number, you're doing your customer and ultimately your business a disservice. Uh, that's, that's really excellent. I, many years ago, when I was just getting involved in market research around customer information, I uh, had a colleague say to me, you always want to have a combination of qualitative and quantitative data so that you can make an informed decision. You don't make a decision using just the data from one or the other, but you merge those two together and that gives you enough of the information you need to make better decisions as opposed to, I love your term, stupid decisions, because we see it being made all the time. <laughs> so it's a right. great, great way to put it. Um, yeah. okay, this has been a, a great session. Just a couple of concluding questions for you. One is look in your crystal ball and tell us where we're headed in customer experience. So first of all, coming years, I see all these large organizations, especially when they're large, when alignment is, is, is the most uh, precious thing to, to keep, they're going to be working journey-centric. They're not going to be focused on dashboards, whiteboards, uh, data only. They're going to bring everything together around the journeys and, and align teams in that way. And that is, that is the short-term version of the future I see. But on the long-term, Devices will be able to track our experience or emotions in a more granular level than we can do today. So on the other hand, the trend we see is that people want to own their data, want to keep their data and, and allow selectively which companies have access to that. And I believe that if, if that is true in 10 years from now, and I, I believe it will, then if you can collect more of your soft experience of your perceived experience digitally and you hold that data and can allow companies to either access that or not, then we will see probably the whole world of experience change the relationship between the company and the customer being the customer providing the data, which it is today, right? If you're not paying, you're the product, or if you pay a little bit, we still serve you ads to, hey, customer can we use your data and in return you're going to get a b and c from us so i believe that could be a nice shift we're going to see in the market the coming decade where the data is owned really by the customer and it's all about the experience the qualitative experience the quality of experience that they want or will not share with the company that is so desperately looking for it that the power is going to be in the hands of the customer again that's that's really um, excellent words that you've shared in terms of where we're headed. Um, I, I'm always amazed at, at uh, how consumers don't realize the power they really have. And so to your point, putting the power back in the customer's hands is really key. Joachim, uh, this has been a fan fantastic session with you. Uh, final words of wisdom for our listeners? Well, for 
everyone listening and thought, hey, okay, this sounds a lot like my company. Um, there's a lot of knowledge we share to, to get you started on this. Um, but if you're really serious about transforming your company into becoming journey-centric, then I'm more than happy to, to have a chat with you. Like send me a message on LinkedIn and we can get things started because I really believe that every organization that is serious about its customers, about its customer experience will transform towards a journey centric organization. And there's so much we can learn from each other and we're figuring it out as we go. We happen to build software to make it scalable, but our product will look so different in five years from now. And so will customer experience because today that transformation that everyone has been talking about um, is unfolding right in front of our eyes. Okay, what's the website that listeners can go to to learn more? I know you said a link in with you, but also do you have a website for they do? Yeah, of course. It is actually daydo.io. And if you want to go one step further, you can go to daydo.io slash podcast. And I've actually set up a little landing page for this um, uh, podcast for if you're really serious about doing this, you can directly book a time with me so we can uh, get this conversation going. But all the information around journey management, we have a lot of guides, we have blog posts, the ones that you refer to today, Bob, are there. We really want to provide knowledge around this space so you can think on your own how to do best do this in your organization and help your teams to achieve this excellence on customer experience. Joachim Vanderveer, thank you very much for joining the All Things Considered CX podcast. I've been your host, Bob Asman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your network. And as always, stay tuned for future podcasts with fascinating guests that share their insights and perspectives on customer experience as part of the CXFM radio network of podcasters. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit CXofM.org for more resources.